Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe and the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice. We shall be glad in it. And uh, we are handling our study today of the book of Matthew. Remember, we started our New Testament study. We read and study book by book, chapter by chapter. And we believe for the Lord to speak to us because this is what we believe. There's no limitation to the revelation of God. God reveals his word to every single person who shows need. If you want God to speak to you, I can assure you he will speak to you and he will let you uh, know of that which is in his word, of that which he wants you to do. And uh, we uh, we've done a number of chapters in the book of Matthew. We've just done three chapters and today. I want us to complete this third chapter, which we started on. And uh, yesterday we closed off at a point where people are flooding John the Baptist in the Jordan. They're going to be baptized. And remember, Scripture said that all Jerusalem was running to him. All Judea was running to him for baptism. There was a sort of revival that was happening in the entire nation. They were experiencing a revival, something new that they had not seen. They had hope that had been restored to them because, remember, at this point, they are looking at uh, other nations that have conquered them. They are not the mighty Israel anymore that uh, they used to be, that, that which they used to read of of their forefathers. Yeah, Right now, they were being conquered by other nations. They were subjects. They were paying tribute. They had governors from Rome. They had uh, Their life was not one that they would really love to have because of what was going on in the world at that time. So, right now, when there's a revival happening, in it they have hope. For those who are reading scripture, they were reading about this man in the desert, yeah, who was paving the way, and they were believing, yes, I think a Messiah is about to come. Who will deliver us for them? Mostly, they believed that the Messiah would come and help them get back on top of the world to become a superpower once again. That is what some believed. But then, also those who knew about the salvation story that has been spoken of by the prophet of that, which will come, that who will come to save mankind from sin. So at this point, what is going on is the fact that um, they have come to him to be baptized. And where we closed off uh, yesterday, among those who came were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We looked at these guys earlier in the history of Israel while we were studying. And you can also check through our Podbean uh, channel and you get those teachings we had on uh, uh, in the history of Israel within which we saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes who emerged at that time. These were a pure group. They were religious leaders they decided to take this issue of religion to a higher level and they had to maintain, yeah, uh, according to them, the spirituality of Israel. Now, these guys also hear of this revival. They hear of this baptism that is going on. And I think it shook them 
I think it was spoken of everywhere. It was being spoken of in the synagogues. It was being spoken of uh, in every part, in the temple. And now, the Sadducees, remember they were the rich class of religious leaders, the wealthy uh, class of leaders. They got up. Yeah, It moved them from the temple areas, from the temple committees to go down to be baptized. The Pharisees as well. They got up and said, we need to go and get baptized. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, yeah, John the Baptist says, okay, these guys have come even in big numbers, not just a few. When he saw them coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why would he regard these religious leaders as a brood of vipers? Why would he come out to speak about these people that you expect to be holy, to be righteous, to be the ones that are governing the institution of religion, and they are expected to be the best? They are expected to be the ones you run to, to be the ones that are trusted, but instead they are referred to as a brood of vipers. What causes the religious leader, the one in whom everyone has hope, to be looked at in a manner of one of the most evil of all? Because of pretense, because of some, uh, some things we try to portray that we are not. And that's a warning to us. Because many saw the Pharisees as the most holy, most righteous. Many saw them as the ones that are their leaders. They reach God on their behalf. Yet this one who sees their spirituality, John the Baptist, in a high spiritual sense, could notice and know that these guys are crooked. They're not right. So he calls them a brood of vipers. And in ancient tradition, it was suggested that uh, there are some kinds of vipers that ate their way out of their mother's uh, uh, stomach, if I could say that in our sense here, would say the stomach when you're being born from there, from the womb. But for this, there were a certain type of vipers uh, that when it is time to be born, they would, not, they, they would just eat their way out of their mother. Yeah? And uh, it was already so bad if you're called a viper. Yeah? Because of how we know them. But to be called a viper's child was even worse because of that which they knew about them, that they eat their way out. So, when the Pharisees and Sadducees are being talked of in that sense, that they are sons of vipers, it's like they eat their way out of their mother. Yeah, And uh, as far as these people were concerned, killing your mother or your father, family specifically, was one of the worst of crimes that was uh, talked of or known of in that time. So, uh, when the Pharisees and Sadducees are being called brood of vipers, it is a huge statement that is being sent. Yeah, They were just eating out of people. They were just destroying people. There were people who were mean and just doing things for their own advantage. And that is the caution we need to have as leaders. Being a leader, a religious leader, does not put you above everybody else that you have to start to manipulate them. 
it doesn't put you above everybody else that you have to uh, go ahead and treat them like they're nothing. It's what these guys would do. Yeah? They would punish people for things that they do. You come out and preach about things that you yourself do. A brood of vipers. That's what he called them. Because that is what they portrayed. And John the Baptist, in his spiritual sense, in his spiritual mapping, could know that this is not a righteous group. But hey, they have come. They have decided that it is time for us to change. It's time for us to repent. And remember the process was they would get in the water and they confess their sins. So this implies a Pharisee would enter the water and confess their sins. They say, I have stolen land. I have been unrighteous. I've done this. I want God to help me. I want to change. That's what is the good thing here. That it doesn't matter how bad you are. Even if you've been regarded a brood of vipers, you can still repent. You can still change. Respective of what nature of life you've lived, you can still turn to God and walk in a way that is worthy and walk in the way that honors God. That's what these guys are trying to do. They're saying, hmm, we're not missing in this revival. We need to go and be baptized. And so they come and they repent and they turn from their way. It's unfortunate that uh, just a few months later, they were going to get back on their word and return. Because, you know, sometimes when you've been, when there's repentance that has happened, happened in somebody's life they still need to walk with caution because you can easily slip back you can easily fall back these guys have been baptized these pharisees the sadducees baptized confessed their sins told to turn and walk a different uh, journey they made the decision to come nobody forced them to come yeah you make a decision to come to christ nobody forces you to do that you accept him as your lord and savior and after that you sleep back because of the forces of the world and the interests of the world and the things that you want. Now the Pharisees wanting to remain in charge, wanting to be the ones that are feared, wanting to be the ones that are respected, wanting to be the ones that control religious affairs. Later on, they turn back from this repentance that they received and start to torture the Christ himself. So when they come, he baptizes them. Therefore, he tells them, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Huh? Is bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When you repent, it has to be seen. When you repent, when you make a decision to turn, it has to be visible. You cannot say that you turned, yet you're still in the old life. You cannot say that you've turned and repented, yet you're still doing the things you used to do in the past, in the evil life. When you repent, you change everything. You become a, a person that is trustworthy. You become a person that is loving. Yeah, you take hatred out of your life, jealousy out of your life. You take all those items and, and descriptions of evil out of your life and you walk a life that is pleasing to God. That is what he's telling them. He says, guys, you've come, yes, it's good. But now, bear that fruit. The problem that we have today is bearing fruit. Because we profess and we say and we mention and we come out and say we are saved. We are children of God. But then the fruit lacks. Because if you're a child of God, you love one another. If you're a child of God, you'll be a faithful person. If you're a child of God, you represent him wherever you go. 
If you're a child of God, your company will change. The people that you walk with and move with and live with will change. That is a fruit that is being demanded of us. When you're a child of God, your speech will change. There are words you no longer come out and speak. Words that will not come out of your mouth anymore because you are a child of God. So the fruit, that fruit that we talk about lacks for us today. Sometimes we we do things and people wonder and they say, is this really the child of God? Yeah? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, 4. You were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. When you're talking about the fruit, what is demanding of them is walk in righteousness, dear Pharisees. Walk in goodness, dear Pharisees. Walk in truth. Leave the dark. Answers to us as well. Walk in righteousness. Walk in truth. Walk in a manner that does honor God. And he says that is how you keep up with the repentance you've done. When you turn back, there are fruits that are expected. When I turn back from my old life, there are fruits that are expected. It's not just speech. It's not just words that we are saved. But the life we live, the things we do have to be seen. And he says, and do not suppose... That you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He's telling them, you know, you guys have that, um, you, you want to always believe that you are the highest of all. Yeah, that God has no other options. That God will only choose you. He will only work with you. Yeah, so you, you, you use Abraham, and that's good for you. You use him as a fact that you will always remain in the favor of God. But he tells them that God can raise up children to Abraham just through stones. I mean, he created everything. He can determine what to do. Hmm? And um, we are children of God. We are Christians. And there's that favor that we have that God has placed around us. But we don't take that for granted. What he's trying to tell them here, do not take the grace for granted. Do not take these things for granted. Do not think that because you are children of Abraham, then it is obvious. Because God can have other alternatives. And God can choose others. Do not think that because it is uh, you, God has placed the mantle upon you for ministry to do out, to go out and reach people and preach and sing and do whatever you're doing, that you are the most favorite of all. It's by grace that you're chosen. And if you refuse to do the work of God, if you act in the way that doesn't please him, he can still get another. You can be replaced. This is what they're telling these guys here. You can be replaced and, hey, by stones, God can pick children out of them. He can decide anyway. You are all created from dust. So what is the difference? There can be a new creation that can worship God. That's what he's trying to tell these people. And he says, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let me read that again. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is the result of the failure to bear fruit? You're cut down and you're thrown into the fire. John chapter 15 verse 2. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring more fruit. The speech here clearly is that if you fail to bear fruit, if I fail to bear fruit after that gift, after that repentance that I've received, after working with God, after uh, deciding to move and get into this uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit and I still refuse to bear fruit, I expose myself to the fire. And that day is coming. That day is coming. It won't be about the words that you spoke on that day when you got saved. It will be about the fruit. Did you bear fruit? And that's the issue to us as Christians. Have we done this? Do we have that fruit with us? Or we just have words that we spoke and went back, sunk back into the old life. Every person that does not bear fruit will be thrown into the fire. That is it. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, for you to turn, for you to change your ways. But the one that is coming after me is mightier than I. First of all here, uh, John the Baptist recognizes his position. Sometimes we want to take the place of God. We want to be on equal footing with him. And we want to claim that we are either like him or greater than him. But he deserves his position. John the Baptist here knows that the one that is coming is greater than I. And he tells it to them. Because I think... For a man who has led a sort of revival that has brought all Judea and all Jerusalem to him, that they've all come to him for baptism, that man is one who calls for a lot of attention. There were words that were moving about uh, what, what he would do, what he, he, he would, the power that he had, the authority, the revival that he has led, the things that he has done. And people were praising him in all places in the regions because they were saying he's one man, John the Baptist. But he has brought all of them. He has actually even brought those people we fear, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've come to be baptized. John had a good CV with him. He had a right to brag. He had a right to feel that I'm the man because I have brought all Jerusalem, all Judea to this river for baptism. But still, within him he knew that the one that is coming is greater than I. These days, we hold events, we hold revivals, meetings, we hold crusades, we hold whatever it is. We even build churches and then we will brag about the people that have come. And we will brag about the numbers that we've drawn. Who drew numbers greater than those of John the Baptist? 
if the Bible is telling you all Judea, all Jerusalem, who drew numbers greater than those, but he still has that in him to recognize that it is not I that is greater, but God. Sometimes this which we've seen, this which we have drawn to us, the people that have praised us and speak all these words about us, the greatness and all those things about us, we have ended up glorifying ourselves. We, we take the place of God. We tell people that uh, if uh, I do not decide, then this will not happen like we are God. But John the Baptist here says, the one that is coming after me is mightier than I. And he even goes and says, I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. And the beauty of all this for him, he says, I baptize with water. But the one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Of course, from what he's speaking here, he's not worthy to even untie his sandals. Uh, he's positioning himself as more or less a slave. yeah, And uh, he's not even fit to carry his sandals. He's not fit to untie his sandals. He says, this one is a lot greater than I. And he makes a very important statement to us here, that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And uh, when we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, he says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each and every one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what Christ brought. This is the baptism he gave to them. Yeah, the tongues of fire, that which was seen upon each and the Holy Spirit that came upon them. That is what Christ brought. Yeah, and that when you receive the Holy Spirit, everything is sorted for you. He says this is, that is what he's bringing to us. And he says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he'll thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire of course winnowing is something familiar to the Israelites so when he's talking to them uh, these Jews they understand because uh, many of them were farmers and in that activity they would throw the wheat that they've harvested into the air and uh, the wind would separate the heavier grain from that chaff, which was lighter. And since this chaff was useless, they could not consume it. They would normally burn it. So that is the example he's giving to them. And they will understand it properly because it is an activity that they do, yeah, as uh, the Jews or as Israelites who practice farming. And he says the chaff, that which is not useful, is thrown into the fire. If you're found wanting, you're thrown into the fire because you are of no use. That is what uh, the chaff in this case is. So, verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee. Remember, we last saw when he, uh, Jesus and Joseph and uh, Mary uh, going from Egypt and they went to Galilee to stay there in a small town of Nazareth. Now, he comes back on the scene and we are told, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Uh, 
But John tried to prevent him, saying, it's interesting, these guys have never met. These two have not met before. But when he looks, he knows that this is the chosen one. This is the one that is mightier than I. May God give us the ability to discern. May God give us the ability to see and know spiritual things. May God give us the ability to look and witness and know that this is the one. And now, he says, he tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized. He says, I cannot do that. And he says, I have needed to be baptized by you. And you, and do you come to me? <laughs> John is practically saying, you're the one who should be carrying out this, this event. Hmm? You're the one that the entire Judea and Jerusalem should be running to. Even I, I should be running to you for this baptism. Yeah? But you're coming to me. But Jesus answered him and said, permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying, he does not deny the fact, by the way. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that, uh, no, John, uh, you know it's you who's supposed to do it. I'm not worthy. No, Jesus knows. Yeah, but he says, let us do this to fulfill all righteousness. He says, yes, it is me to do that. But let me fulfill all all righteousness. Do it because it's spoken of you in the word. It's spoken of you by the prophets that you are the one who paved the way for me. Yeah, And he says, let us fulfill. Do it because it is written. You have to do it. Complete the process. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and alighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. After John uh, is, carries out this event, major, important in history, and uh, Jesus comes out of the water, we are told, that the heavens were opened. And he saw. Who saw? John the Baptist saw. I do not know because here in, we don't read that uh, there are others who saw. Hmm? As far as we are told here, John the Baptist saw. Yeah, He's the one who saw the event that happened of the heavens opening and the Spirit of God descending upon him. And this is proof to John. Of course, he has already known. He knows that this is a person that has been spoken of. But he also knows that uh, he's, he's come for, for, for ministry. He's come for the work that has been set for him. And the Spirit of God comes and descends upon him like a dove. And uh, a light on him. And a voice comes out. And it's hard clearly that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If the people who were around heard this and saw this, and the Pharisees, I'm pretty sure, were part of the people that were around there, probably you would, if they all had, you would have had lesser issues because it was clear the voice has spoken. Like, remember, with the one we had at, at Mount Sinai, our great-grandfathers, they had that voice. They saw the thunder, the, the thunder, the quaking. 
So here, you should have seen, the heavens are open, spirit has come, sat on him, and the voice has come out. But from what we read here, it looks like it's an affair that the two witnessed, that's John the Baptist and Christ himself. And uh, God, this reassurance to him that he is his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased. He is his beloved son, in whom he has sent every single moment of salvation of mankind. And the people who speak everything about Christ. But I want to let you know today that he is the son of God. And God is pleased with him. He was pleased with him here. He still is pleased with him. And he is the one who came to die for our sins. And today, it is through him that we have eternal life. He came on this day. Humble a man. Led to be baptized by one who might be lower than him. But he did that. And he was getting ready for the ministry that he was meant to do here on earth. And we shall see that starting tomorrow as we get to chapter 4. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you lead us, guide us, and speak to us concerning all affairs of our lives. May you use us. May you be our guide. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com. Dot com.